0: My friends welcome to the bible project daily podcast and the project is to work together to study together through the whole bible chapter by chapter verse by verse over approximately five years now if this is the first time you've joined us together on this journey i'd just like to point out that there's always a transcript of each and every episode Uh, available in the episode notes section on any audio version of this podcast. doesn't matter where you're receiving it, wherever you're getting your podcast from, go there and you'll find a transcript which is copyright free. It's in the public domain. Use it in whatever way you want, either in your personal devotional or study time, or in preparing materials of your own. It's out there for you to use and to be blessed by, and hopefully blessed other, bless other people with as well. And you'll also find links there to all the various ways that you can connect with my ministry. So anyway, that's it by way of introduction. I'll pop back up at the end and, and update you on a few things. But other than that, we'll continue in the main text, which we're today closing off our three studies on Genesis chapter. 42. I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. So here we are, we're continuing on in this study of Genesis chapter 41, in which we've seen the situation where Joseph has been plucked out, pulled out of prison, placed before Pharaoh and through the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams he finds himself in this amazing position. So we're three studies into Genesis chapter 41, and we'll hopefully get to the end of this chapter today and close it off. So to remind us where we are, we have this young man, Joseph, here. He's gone from being a prisoner to vice president in just one day, just because he met someone in jail something that was probably a minor incident to Joseph at the time, certainly considered alongside the catastrophic personal events he had experienced and also considered alongside the amazing things that would happen to him in the future, like him becoming prime minister to our queen overnight. So the actual situation, the day in prison where he interpreted the dream would probably have seemed quite normal and insignificant. But even after that thing happened he waited in jail for more than two years and then suddenly bam he's called out of it following his conversation his interpretation of pharaoh's dream he's put literally in second command of all of the land of egypt now we're going to press on here and get to the end of chapter one in these three studies by and i'll just continue reading the the main narrative in the text, and we're picking up where we left off last time at Genesis chapter 41, which tells us this. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zaphonath Penea, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out of Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt so verse 45 tells us that Joseph was given a wife and what's significant about that is it also tells us that she's the daughter of the priest of a city called on that shows that he's not only given political authority in this situation but he's been given social standing as well his wife was the daughter of the priest of this city called on which we know now, experts tell us, that this is a well-known center at that time for the worship of the sun. It's only about 10 miles northeast of what is today modern Cairo. And the high priest of On was an important person in the land of Egypt. In fact, he had a title, which was the greatest of the seers and the prophets. So Joseph is seen here to be marrying into the elite of Egyptian nobility. So now he has not only got political standing bestowed on him by Pharaoh, he is now married and holds a very high social position as well. Now it seems to me that God permitted this marriage. I can't help but read this chapter and remember that God commanded the children of Israel earlier in the story not to marry the local Canaanites. Yet here we have Joseph marrying an Egyptian woman. So what do we make of that? Well, I think we can say that God seemed to permit it. It doesn't say that God agrees with it, but it appears that he uh, permitted it on this occasion. It's also worth noting that in the case of the Canaanites, when the Israelites married the Canaanites, the Canaanites nearly always were seen to lead them off into idolatry. But that's not what happens here. Joseph marries an Egyptian wife, and as a matter of fact, he has two sons, And the passage will go on later to tell us that he names them Manasseh and Ephraim. But note here it is also telling us that he trained them to serve the true and living God. And we will discover later on that he did that to such a degree that they will be seen to be later to become part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Someone I read once said that only a man like Joseph, schooled in adversity and sorrow, could meet such a sudden elevation to a high position without uh, sort of falling victim to pride or self-exaltation. So it would seem that his rigorous approach to maintaining his faith, to staying level-headed in all situations and staying true to the one true living God enabled him to encounter this success without succumbing to its temptations. And of course it is very likely that he would have handed on this sincere dedicated faith onto his two children. He had these sons yes but it tells us they did not serve idols. But meanwhile at the same time we are told that the famine was extensive. It uncovered not only the entire land of Egypt but the region and it also informs us that when people became hungry and they needed and they asked for food they were sent to Joseph. And it says Everybody in the land was instructed, and all the the sort of layers of officialdom and administration were instructed to do whatever Joseph told them to do so that they could comply. In other words, the whole nation would have to comply with whatever plan he put into operation to deal with this famine. Let's continue reading the text all the way down to verse 52. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea and it was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. So this is where we see how the plan to ensure the survival of Egypt is administered within the nation. Carrying on, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asinir, a daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and he said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's households. The second son he named Ephraim, and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So we know Joseph predicted exactly what would happen. And because of that, he was not only able to save Egypt, but it also turns out other people as well, able to help those from adjacent lands because this famine was engulfing the whole region. And this is the the bare bones of the story now that we've got through. It actually continues. It carries over into the next chapter. And we really only get to see how significant these events will turn out to be in the life of Joseph later on. But not only in his life, is going to have a huge foundational importance for the nation of Israel. And we'll find that out later. But before we get there, I'd just like to talk about and close off what happened in this chapter. And I believe this chapter is telling us and showing us that the Lord providentially used the interpretation of a dream to put Joseph in the period of a single day to raise him to second in command of all of Egypt and to make him the successful administrator of what today we would probably call an international food program. And then in the longer term, he is seen to give him two sons who will then become part of the nation of Israel. But all of these huge foundational events, they all started when Joseph was in a very small place, in a very small situation, confined in jail, and he meets another man, a butler. And I think that this narrative, it's an amazing example of the way that God providentially works. You see, the doctrine of providence says that God works behind the scenes, hiding himself from the view of those who have no faith but working things out and taking care of his own in the long term in a way that they can see, but usually only in the fullness of time. It is God using natural means to accomplish his will in our lives. In the providence of God, he will train us, he will train his children and place us in situations that only later we may come to recognize his providential hand at work in our lives. Sometimes he will even place some people in positions of influence and service so that they can be used to bring about his purposes in wider situations, maybe even be used to bless the wider society in which they live. One commentator I read said the message of this passage is that God may even control the fortune of a very nation in order to protect and provide for his covenant people. For the people of the promise. That's you and me friends. Clearly God is working here in this situation for Joseph but he's not really working supernaturally here except in the intensely personal experience of dreams but providentially he is working through other people and societal circumstances around them and that's really what the text is saying It's acknowledged clearly in the text. Which is why Joseph is heard to say, God gave you the dream and God will give the interpretation also. God worked through the dream only because people responded to the interpretation of the dream in the wider society around and allowed the person who had the gifting to serve. But all of this all came about simply because one day Joseph met a butler in jail. Now I want to put this into practical perspective because I think it's worth getting the balance right here. I do believe that there are some preachers today who really get caught up with the idea that God works supernaturally, and that's how he's seen to work all the time. So I'd like to deal with that question, well by asking the question, does God work supernaturally? And of course he does. Yes, God does miracles. They're in the Bible. There's no getting away from that. I don't doubt that God works that way then and he can still and does work that way today. I have no doubt of that but I believe we need to hold this idea, this way of thinking and keep it in perspective. I sometimes in my life occasionally have got frustrated by preachers who appear to promise miracles in the lives of people in their orbit and then when those miracles don't happen for those people, I see those people get disheartened. I don't say I see it all the time, but I've seen it often enough that it provoked me to go and study the Bible and see what it actually has to say about miracles and exactly when and how those miracles occurs. One of the things I did was lay out a timeline of all the miracles in the Bible. And one of the things that I discovered from that process is that clearly... They don't happen every day. Not in the Bible anyway. If you listen to some preachers and evangelists, they make it sound to me like the only way God will work in your life is through the miraculous, and that's how he does it all the time. But if you actually read the Bible, you have to admit that that's not the way God works. He does the miraculous, but it's not the way he works. Not all the time anyway. As a matter of fact, If you take the whole Bible, there are specific time periods where we see miracles disclosed, revealed, and discussed. But in the greater picture of the whole Bible, they are sort of relatively few. I'm not sticking rigorously to that, but I would say that usually God brings his purposes to pass in our lives today by normal, natural means. But through the eyes of faith, we can see that he's been at work in our lives. And it was in this way that God prepared for the coming of Joseph to his position of authority. And I think that's a useful, healthy perspective to have. You See, in the Bible, there are these periods of miracles scattered over probably about 1600 years, Moses to Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus and the apostles, and then the prophetic end times miracles described in Revelation. And that's it you've got these periods coming 1600 years and bible experts say that those intensely miraculous periods they lasted no more than 100 years each so my point is let me make it clear i'm saying god uses miracles but it is not the usual way we will experience him in our everyday lives he works all the time and he works always with us And he is working all the time, every day, through natural means. And that is what is called the providence of God. He's working behind the scenes, and our job is to remain faithful and to exercise the spiritual gifts and to trust in the Lord for the results. And that's quite simply exactly what Joseph did here. He did what he could and he trusted the Lord. And for the rest, he just sat back and waited and saw what God will do. And for us too, There's no telling what God might do and how he might use us if we just trust in that and live our lives with that perspective. Joseph exercised his unique spiritual gift in prison and look what happened to him. He ended up prime minister of a whole nation. So God used these ordinary circumstances to elevate Joseph and we're going to see in the coming chapters that he is going to use this man Joseph to save the whole nation of Israel and thereby God's covenant salvation plan for the whole world. And that, of course, includes you and I today. Using him, and it all launched off with just a little thing that started by him interpreting a dream for one of his cellmates. That's the way God works, all the time. He works providentially, and that's the way he works all the time, always, in the lives of everyone that approaches him and looks for him with the eyes of faith. Now what this tells me is that we should never be discouraged. Now you may be discouraged if you spend your life constantly waiting for a miracle and then don't see God do that for you. and Because by doing that you miss the fact that God is working and will be working through some minor things in your life that you perhaps don't think are significant at all. It might just mean that something, that very ordinary that's happening to you today, might turn out to be one of the most significant things that has ever happened in your life. There was a man who lived in England uh, over a hundred years ago, a man called William Keller. He was emotionally a very frail man. He was described as his friend as always being a bundle of nerves, and he constantly suffered from swollen eyes and chronic inflammation, probably what we would today call rheumatoid arthritis, and he suffered a lot. He got to the point where one point he even attempted uh, suicide in his life, and during his life he had several spent several times in mental health hospitals, which in those days were places where patients were treated generally, cruelly and with contempt. Yet through... All of it through his long ordeal he wrote and he became one of England's literally great, greats and he was indeed one of Victorian era's most famous hymn writers. It was William couple who wrote this, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in the unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his brightest design and works his sovereign will. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. That phrase, that refrain has almost penetrated the lexicon of modern thought, hasn't it? God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And what we can say when we understand and grasp hold of that truth, we can say, Father, we thank you for this assurance. We thank you that you are in work at work in our lives all the time and sometimes we don't see it. But if we do, we can know that in the fullness of time that we will see the results of these seemingly random occurrences and chance meetings in our life. And we can be thankful to God for this reminder in this text, study his working in our lives in normal ways in natural ways and we can ask for god to give us the eyes of faith so that we can see these things as just as significant as if they were supernatural because indeed the ordinary things in fact are supernatural bye for now okay friends that's it for today I'd like to remind you at the start, as I said, there's uh, not only a transcript of everything I've said, but there's lots of links of ways in which you can connect to my ministry through the episode notes of any audio version of the podcast. That include places like the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, and importantly, the Patreon page. That's the place where I place uh, additional resources and more discipleship-based training material, certainly from September of this year, that's the plan. That's where that's going to be. Things that will hopefully help those, help you develop your spiritual gifts of service within the, the wider community of faith. A thing that's really helpful is if you find that this is helping you and you're benefiting from it in any way, then why not consider reviewing it, sharing it or liking it on whatever the the, sort of the social network platforms that you happen to inhabit. Uh, Maybe putting a link through to to the podcast itself. That way we can ensure that this is seen as widely as possible and that more and more people, I know there are thousands of you, tens of thousands of you already out there, but more and more people can make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives and a particular thank you for each and every one of you who have committed to not only go on this journey with me but maybe perhaps to to include me in your prayer time, that I might be able to maintain this I believe God-given vision for me to work through the whole Bible which means creating roughly a 20-25 minute message every day for the next five years. Pray that I will have the stamina emotionally, spiritually uh, in every way to complete this amazing project. But anyway that's it for today. I hope uh, you've enjoyed it and I hope also to see you right back here tomorrow. Well it'll be for tomorrow for me but whatever day you happen to open up the podcast and listen to it on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.